You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, 19, Isaiah 59, 19. If, if you don't know where Isaiah is, go to the Psalms and turn right. Thank you, Jesus. How many people know that change is a good thing? Change is a good thing. Change is never easy, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm telling you, you're in good hands. The Bible says, So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, which is the east. When the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. If you were to say to me, hey, could you describe 2020 for me? I would say it was when the enemy came in like a flood. We got smacked with a, with a pandemic. We got, you know, businesses were shuttered. Schools were shut down. Mandatory mask wearing, you know, came in. We, you know, uh, restaurants were closed. Gyms were closed. There, there was panic. Then we had race riots and division in America. I mean, 2020, what a year. I mean, if someone would have told me in 2019, I would have just fast-forwarded 2020, just got straight into 2021. Now, we should have realized that 2020 was going to be that kind of year because 20 and 20 is 40. And 40 all the way through the Bible is trials or tribulations. So Noah had 40 days and 40 nights when the heavens burst open and the rain came down 40 days, 40 nights. The children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert for 40 days. And so you always see 40. When, uh, when a woman gets pregnant, she carries the child for 40 weeks. 40 is test. 40 is trial. 40 is tribulation. But the Bible says that we can know that whenever the enemy comes in like a flood, that God is not absent, that God is not taken by surprise. That God doesn't say, well, I, I got no answers here. The Bible says, whenever the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will. Not might, not could, not possibly. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So, you know, we can look back and say, my goodness, you know, 2020, 40, why didn't we realize? But that's why God said, I felt God say to me, well, that's why I called it 2020. Because, you know, hindsight's 2020. Foresight isn't 20, hindsight's 2020. You look back and go, duh. And uh, so now we look back, oh my gosh, duh, 2020. You know, it, we all had these, these hopes. So, so Jesus says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord is lifting up a standard against him. Today I want to talk about that standard. And the title of my message this morning is Shift. 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 So I do need you just kind of, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a warning when you get on the planes. When you, you know, you're going to fly somewhere, uh, you know, they go, uh, folks, uh, welcome on board flight, awaken SLC. Uh, we're going to be cruising at an altitude of 35,000 feet today. There's a little bit of turbulence as we take off towards the right. And so the fastened seatbelt side is going to be coming on. And we just ask you to remain seated until, you know, and so, so I need you to put your seatbelt on. Yeah. 
There may be some turbulence, but I just need you to put your seatbelt on, strap yourself in, because God has a plan, God has a vision, and, and there's some things that need to shift. There's some things that need to shift in the city. So just for time's sake, and they've been very generous with the time, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to kind of summarize the scripture that we're going to be reading. There, there are three scriptures that we will put up on the screen for you to read, but I'm going to summarize the opening. So the text that we're going to go to in your Bibles is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, as you go there, I will summarize the, 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 the chapter. You can read it afterwards to make sure that I'm not putting anything in there that's not in there. Uh, but basically, it goes like this. There was a man called Elkanah. Elkanah marries his, his, his sweetheart. He, he, he marries this beautiful young lady called Hannah. Marries Hannah. But the Bible says that Hannah was unable to conceive. The Bible says that Hannah was barren. Hannah was unable to, to give him children. So the Bible says that Elkanah, being a man of, of some means, of some wealth, decided, well, I could afford a second one. And uh, I'm telling you, my credit card statements at the end of the month, I cannot afford a second one. Uh, you know, there are days where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can afford the first one. But, um, so, but, but Elkanah, you know, Hannah maybe wasn't that expensive, but, but he, so he marries a woman called Panina. And Panina is, like she's popping out babies like, you know, nothing else. And so the Bible says that because she is, she's, she's, you know, giving him sons and daughters, there was rivalry, as you can imagine, between Hannah, who already felt heartbroken when he announced to her, honey, I want you to meet someone. Oh, who's this? Is this your cousin? <laughs> Actually, he's my second wife. It's your... And so I don't even know how that conversation would happen. But she knew that because she was unable to bring forth a child, that this was happening. And the Bible says, though, that Penina provoked Hannah because she saw that Elkanah loved Hannah. At the end of the day, when all the dishes were done and the kids were put to bed, Penina would look over and Elkanah would be cuddling with Hannah on the sofa. When Saturday came and there was a walk along the beach at the Sea of Galilee, Elkanah would reach for Hannah's hand. Penina had babies, but Hannah had her husband's affection. And so because of this, there was incredible rivalry. And the Bible says that it got nasty where Penina would be, would be just provoking her, belittling her, condescending to her. There was no peace in this home. The Bible says that every year Elkanah, who was a man of God, they would go up to the feast and he would always give Hannah a double portion offering when they would go in and they would, they would go into the temple and they'd present their offerings and then they'd go out and then it's the feast and they would, they would celebrate in the feast. But, but this particular year, 1 Samuel says that when, when Elkanah gave Hannah the double offering and she went into the house of God to present with everybody else, everybody else presented and left except for Hannah. Hannah didn't, didn't leave. And she's like, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to the same belittling. I'm not going back to the same nasty. I'm not going back to the same conflict. I'm not going to, back to the same broken. I'm not going back to the same contention. I'm not going back to the same barren. I'm not going back to the same emptiness. And so the Bible says that she remained 
After she pre presented her offering, she began to cry out to God. How many people know that the church is the house of breakthrough? The church is the house. Jacob said, this is none other than Bethel. This is none other than the church. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. The access point to heaven on earth is the house of God, is the church. And so she's in, a, in, in, the, she's in the house of breakthrough. And the Bible says that there was a prophet, a priest prophet by the name of Eli, who was presiding over Israel at that time. And he looks and he sees Hannah. And the Bible says that Hannah was in anguish of soul. She was in anguish and she was praying, but she was praying with such travail that her lips were moving, but no sound was coming up because she was praying in her heart. And the Bible says that Eli per perceived and thought that she was drunk. And he says to her, put your wine away from you, woman. Come into the house of God, drunk, inebriated. What's wrong with you? And she looks up and sees Eli and she says, oh, no, no, no. Please, my Lord, please, my Lord. Do not consider your maidservant to be a wicked woman. This is, this is not uh, alcohol. This is not inebriation. This is anguish of soul. I'm crying out to God for a son. And Eli, maybe a little bit humbled, reaches out his hands, the anointing is on Eli. And he reaches out his hand and says, may the Lord grant you your request. The Bible says that she got up from there, received that word. Sometimes you need to receive a word in the house of God. She came in barren. She came in in travail. She came in in anguish, but she received a word. She received a word from the man of God with the anointing received a word and she left. And the Bible says, and Elkanah knew Hannah and she conceived. And she brought forth Shmuel, which means heard from God. She brought forth Samuel. She brings forth Samuel. So we're gonna look at Samuel's life because there are three things that Samuel shifts that I believe that Samuel is a prophetic picture of what God is doing right here in Salt Lake City, what God is doing through Awaken, what God, is, what God has planned. So let me give you three quick thoughts, three quick points this morning. The first one, point number one, is that which is forged in the fire brings victory on the battlefield. That which is forged in the fire brings victory on the battlefield. Come with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 3, verse 19. 1 Samuel 3, verse 19. 1 Samuel 3, verse 19. says, So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. So what happens is Hannah makes a vow that, Lord, if you will give me a son, I will dedicate my firstborn, I will dedicate him to the Lord and I will bring him to the house of God and I will give him to the Lord. So she brings, after she's weaned him, she brings this little baby and she drops him off with Eli at the house of God. And the Bible says year by year, she'd visit her little boy and she'd make him a brand new ephod. As he was growing every year, she put a new ephod on him. Every year he would grow, every year mama would make a new ephod. It's an amazing picture that, that, that the anointing that you carried last year was for last year. That on Vincent Becker, there's a new ephod coming on them for this next season. That on Pastor Matt and Lorraine Tuggle, there's a new ephod coming on. There's a new anointing. There's a new mantle coming on for a next chapter. Don't try and, don't try and operate this year in the anointing from last year. Let, let God clothe you with something fresh. And so 
So the Bible says that, that, that Samuel grew and the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. None of his words fell to the ground. Whatever he prophesied came to pass. Whatever he spoke came to pass. The battle over every city is a battle of words. The battle over your life is a battle of words. Whether you realize it or not, there is a script over your life and there is a script over your city. There's a, when, when we you know, tell people that Salt Lake City, oh, you know, oh, the Mormons, you know, Salt Lake City. So there's, there's already a script over the city. When you tell people about, they'll, they'll tell you, well, you know, it's a city that's this. It's a city that's that. Hey, you know, the biggest gay pride event is in, in Salt Lake City downtown because there's a rebellion against it. And so there's a script over the city. Oh, don't, don't you be expecting because, don't you be going, did you know that the, the highest rate of depression amongst women and, and suicide amongst women, so, so there's a script over the city. There's a, there's a script, whether you realize it or not, over your life. There's a script over your life. The, the, the Hatfields and the McCoys have a script over them and there's, there's tension and conflict between them. But sometimes there's a script, well, you know, the Metesius, they don't do that. Well, you know, we, we, our, your grandfather. And so there's scripts over your life, words that have been spoken. Well, you know, who do you think you are? The first one to go to, to college? You, you, there's scripts over your life. Let me just say this. You are wise when you walk into the house of God to allow Him to change the script. You are foolish if you come into the house where the Word of God is being preached and you walk out with the same script over your life you walk in. you got to let God shift the script over your life. you got to let the, God shift the script over your life. Now, you may say, well, hang on, I hear you up there. I hear you. You don't know my past. You don't know my story. And you're right, I, I don't. But God does. Let me just say this. You were formed in the womb. For 40 weeks, the gestation period of pregnancy, you went from a seed fertilizing an egg to a human, to a beautiful, magnificent human being carrying the Imago Dei, the image of God. You were formed in the womb, but you were not formed for life in the womb. You were formed in the womb for life outside of the womb. Even though you were formed in the womb, you were always formed in the womb for life outside the womb. The, the sword is forged in the fire. Shaking on the anvil. It is formed in the fire on the anvil, not for the blacksmith, but for the warrior to wrought victory on the battlefield. God, God, God prepares, God prepares. In the fire, God prepares in the wilderness. The Bible says that John the Baptist was in the wilderness until the day of his manifestation to Israel. God prepared in the wilderness what he released over the nation of Israel. But God prepares in one place. So you may say, well, you don't understand. Can I just tell you that God was preparing you in the womb of your past? He was preparing you in the furnace of affliction. He was preparing you on the anvil of injustice. He... Do not live and do not think, well, because this was my past, this is where I must dwell. No, no, God was preparing you there. God was preparing in Egypt. A family of 70 went into Egypt 
where they were experienced slavery. And they were in Egypt 400 years, 10 times 40. 10 is completion, complete sentence. And for 400 years, the children of Israel were in Egypt in bondage. And the problem with the Israelites is they, they had gotten so used to their bondage, they thought that God formed them in slavery for a life of slavery. And God had to send Moshe, God had to send Moses to say, no, 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 even though a family went in, a seed came in, a nation is coming out. <coughs> Egypt was a womb for me to take you to the promised land, for me to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I formed you there to experience this. Matt and Loren were formed in San Diego for this chapter, this season in Salt Lake City. They'll tell you the story of what God did there to prepare them for here. Uh, Dr. Matt Hubbard, who's, who I think he's preached here, one of my favorite humans on the planet. Uh, when I first met Dr. Matt, he's a chiropractor, and so I'm laying on his table. And he says to me, he goes, oh, dude, you growing a forest up there? I'm like, up, I'm up, 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 up where? Like, where, where, where are you talking about? Like, which geographical location do you think I'm growing a forest? I, I don't, I haven't even gone to the botanist. I don't have any. It's like, up your nose. Oh, my gosh. Like, you need to get a nose trimmer. I'm like, and when you're, when you're laying on a chiropractic, it's a little bit awkward. And it's not like you're in a room because like there's a guy like three feet that way and another guy three feet that way. And I'm like, hi, um, I'm the hairy nose guy. I need a nose trimmer, obviously. And I'm like, and you can't get up. You, 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 and, so, and so you just have to agree. I'm like, yes, uh, I, 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 I need one. I've tried plucking them, but it, they keep growing back. I, and then, you know, this little old lady, like, you know, two, two tables over, she was like, you know, my leg hurts. He's like, yeah, well, now your back's going to hurt. You just put landscape duty. Anyone else's legs hurt? Actually, he didn't say that. That was Happy Gilmore. And uh, could you trouble me for a warm glass? You could trouble me for a warm glass of... And no, that's not what happened. But anyway, and so, so Dr. Man, I'm watching him, and he's like, you know, some, the late, there was a lady whining and complaining. He's like, hey, 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 this is a positive energy only zone. You want to be negative, you take it outside. You know, it's like, and I'm like, who is this guy? So, so I would say to him, man, you're, you're a better pastor and leader because he could confront, he could, he could tell you that you got hairy nostrils and you love him afterwards. I'm like, who is this guy? He's a better pastor than most pastors I know. Then I find out that he's, you know, his, his family has a lineage of preachers. His grandfather was an evangelist. His uncle was an evangelist. You know, his, his great-grandfather was a pastor. But he didn't want anything to do with the ministry because where he grew up, he just saw dead religion. He, he, he wanted God, but he was like, he probably had, some people say one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. I think he had both feet here and every now and again. He just kind of do that just in case. Hang on, whoa, 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 what do you mean Jesus might come back? I don't want to lose the blessing of God, but you know, and that's, and so, so I keep prophesying over him. Now, he married Michaela. Michaela jumped straight into the call of God and ministry, not Matt. It took eight years 
of prophesying and everything till finally he comes to the altar weeping and is now one of our most fruitful campus pastors. But you know what? God formed him in, in the experience that he grew up where he saw dead religion. God formed him in chiropractic for this season where he, he, he can't, like if he even smells dead religion, he's like, like he can't, they don't even know how to do dead religion. But people that come in, the miracles, the flow, the life, the breakthrough. How many people know that Salt Lake City doesn't need any more dead religion? It, Jesus says, I've come to me, I have life and life more abundantly. There is life in Christ Jesus. So Dr. Matt, Dr. Matt doesn't just, but he releases people into the destiny. John Heinrichs. John Heinrichs was, was in hospital. The, the doctor said to Becky Lynn Heinrichs, Pastor Becky, hey, uh, is your husband's life insurance up to date? Because we don't know what's wrong, but all of his internal organs are shutting down. His kidneys, his liver, everything is shutting down. He may not make it through the night. So I get this phone call from a very panicked Dr. Matt, but I'm sitting on a plane about to, uh, at LAX, about to, to go out onto the runway to take off to New Zealand. And I get this, and I'm like, I can't get off the plane. I said, listen, call, call Pastor Mark Peterson. He's a powerhouse. He's a prayer warrior. I met him in New Zealand. He was in my youth group in Australia. He was one of my generals. That guy knows how to pray. So they call Mark Peterson. Mark Peterson spends the entire next day fasting for a guy he'd never met walks into the hospital at 6 p.m. and Dr. Matt says, praise a prayer that shifted the atmosphere. All the vitals start changing on the monitors and the next morning, John Heinrichs walks out completely healed. Walks out completely healed. But today, John Heinrichs, because, because he received healing, flows in anointing of healing. So you may say, I don't understand why this affliction. I don't understand why this struggle. I don't understand why this battle. You need to understand that God takes you through the anvil. God takes you through the fire. God takes you through the storm. God, because it's the womb of God developing you, not to dwell there, but for what He has for you. So if you had a, a rough 2020, guess what? The Spirit of the Lord is, and He's getting ready to shift something. He was preparing you in 2020. You're still here. The devil didn't win. He didn't take you out. Your business is coming back. Your finances are coming back. Your health is coming back. Your, the de spirit of depression is leaving. The spirit of addiction is broken. God, God forms in the womb for life outside. Number two, the second thing that God wants to shift is that those who do the difficult will see the impossible. Those who do the difficult see the impossible. 1 Samuel 7, 13. Have a look at this one. 1 Samuel 7, verse 13. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It says this. It says, So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the land or into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of... Is it on there? All the days of... I'm not sure if you, if you caught that. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. When Samuel died, the hand was restrained. But while Samuel was living, the hand of God was against the Philistines. Every time the Philistines thought, come on, we can sneak into the land of Israel, the hand of God was against them. 
wheels would fall off their chariots, they, the depression would come upon them, boils would break, they, they, they die, pestilence, plagues. It, they, they knew whatever you do, do not cross into the land of Israel because there's a force field around them. The hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. All the days of Samuel. How, how, how did, did that level of supernatural, how did that level of supernatural and divine protection fall on Israel? Well, I'll tell you how. When Samuel was four years of age, the Bible says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And he was asleep in his bed and he heard, Samuel, Samuel. Because when God speaks, he sounds like, Simba, everything the light touches. This is CNN. Look, I'm your father. It's, it's, that's just, I just think that's how God sounds. And so James Earl Jones. And so, so, Samuel, so Samuel runs and he thinks it's Eli. And he wakes Eli up and he says, you called me? Yes, what is it? And Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go and lie back down. So he goes back down. And then he hears it again, Samuel, Samuel. And he w runs back to Eli. Eli's like, I didn't call you. For goodness sake, lie down, let me sleep. He goes back a third time, Samuel. So he runs. He goes, this time you called me. I heard you. It's the third time. And then the Bible says Eli realized, oh, sugar. God is speaking to you. He used to speak to me. He says, go and lie down. Because it looks like we're in a season of transition. The lamp is moving from one to another. He says, go and lie down and it'll come to pass. If the Lord calls your name again, you shall answer and you shall say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. The next morning at breakfast, Eli says to Samuel, did the Lord speak to you? Did he call a fourth time? Samuel's four years of age and he says, uh-huh. He says, tell me what the Lord said and do not hold one word back. Samuel's very, very first prophecy was, Eli, you're my guardian. You're my provider. You're my, my spiritual father. I live in your house, but the lamp is going to be removed from your house. Your two sons, Phineas and Hophnes, because they are wicked in the sight of the Lord and because you won't rebuke or restrain them will die in battle on the same day. The day that they die in battle, the ark of Israel will be captured by the enemy. And on that day, when you hear the news, you will also die. Now, I'm not sure when you're four and that's the guy who... <laughs> because Samuel, because Samuel could be trusted, to do the difficult. He was a man that God used to see the impossible. God wants to do the impossible. He's looking for men and women willing to do the difficult. Okay, you look like you need some help. Let me, let me break it down. But you don't understand, Pastor. We, we, we can't tithe. Like we're, we're just, we're not even, we can't even make ends meet. And now you're talking about giving the first 10. If you will do the difficult, God will do the impossible. You know, I like this church, except every week, why are you going to be up there 
getting Pastor Alex talking about money, talking about giving, talking about tithing. Like, you know, why does the church, let me just tell you this. I've been a Christian now for 35 years, and this is what I've discovered. All the people that tithe can afford to. Like, yeah, yeah, so why don't you just leave it alone then? Because obviously they can afford it, so they do it. But all the people that don't tithe can't afford to. Yeah, so quit yapping about it. No, 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 you don't understand. All the people that tithe can afford to. And all the people that don't can't afford to. Yeah, so will you shut up and move on? No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. All the people that tithe can afford to. All the people that don't can. The penny will drop. I don't know about you, but I want to be in this zone where I started tithing and all of a sudden I can afford to. Because let me tell you, your 100% against the curse is no, you can't even compare it. You can't even put it on the same ledger as your 90% under God's blessing. 100% trying to fight war against a curse will never do as well as 90% under the blessing of heaven. If you will do the difficult, you release God to do the impossible. You don't understand there's been infidelity in our marriage. There's been betrayal. If you will do the difficult and forgive, if you will do the difficult and apologize, if you will do the difficult and go to therapy, if you will do the difficult and go to counseling, you will see God do the impossible in your marriage. God does the impossible when we're willing to do the difficult. God is always looking for somebody to do the difficult. He says to Moses, I know that you murdered a man 40 years ago in Egypt. I know that there's a, there was a, a wanted poster. I know that you were, uh, you were uh, somebody who had escaped because there was a warrant out for your arrest. I need you to go back to that same place and I need you to go and stand before the most powerful man in the land called Pharaoh and I need you to command him to let my people go. You take your shepherd's sandals covered in dust and you walk across the fine marble floors of Pharaoh's palace and you stand before his ivory and gold covered throne and you put your, your staff into the ground and you command him to let my people go. Moses is like, what you are asking me to do is so difficult. But because Moses was willing to do the difficult, God was able to do the impossible. God wants a generation. God is looking for a church willing to shift things in the atmosphere because they're not afraid to do what is difficult so that God will do the impossible. If you want to see the impossible, be willing to do the difficult. Now, last one, I've got to finish. And if the, if the band could come, the last one, number, number three, is that we are, we are called, the church is called to be the gatekeepers of power. Now, again, just for time's sake, I want you to, I want you to, Turn, turn, turn to 1 Samuel 19, verse 18 to 24, but we don't have time to read it. So I just have to abbreviate it. The Bible says that not only, not only did, uh, did Samuel prophesy, but Samuel was the one that God was, was raising up to anoint kings. He was a kingmaker prophet. The first king that he anointed was a man by the name of Saul. He was the people choice. But because he was the people choice, he, he cared more about what the people thought than what about God thought. 
So he compromised. So God had had it with him. And so God raised up from the sheepfolds another king, a shepherd boy by the name of David. Samuel anoints David. Saul knows that his kingdom is threatened by the rise of this giant slayer, this Goliath-destroying shepherd boy that the, that the Lord was with him. So he sends 3,000 assassins out into the countryside to hunt David like a dog, to execute him, to protect his lineage and his legacy. David many times is hiding in the cave, the cave of Adullam. And this one particular moment here, Saul has cornered David. And the Bible says that David flees to Ramah. Ramah was the hometown of Samuel. And the Bible says, and when David came to Samuel, he told him everything that Saul was doing. And Samuel said to David, remain here with me. The Bible says the word comes back to Saul in, in the palace. We've located David, your highness. He says, where is he? They said, he's down with the prophet Samuel in Ramah. And Saul says, finally, I can take out my enemy. And he sends a battalion of soldiers down there to arrest David, to bring him back, to have him executed. But the Bible says this in this chapter, chapter 19, that when the, the, the battalion, when these messengers from Saul came down to arrest David, as soon as they crossed the threshold, as soon as they stepped into Ramah, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they began to prophesy. Rather than arrest David and take him back to be executed, they began to prophesy that David would be king, not just over Israel, but also over Judah, that he would unite, that he would bring. And, 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 and so Saul is waiting, where are these guys? And then word comes back, they haven't arrested him. They're down there prophesying about his kingdom. So he sends a second lot. And the Bible says when these second guys come down, as soon as they, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they prophesied also. So Saul is now completely ticked. So he brings a third group of, of soldiers together. He says, now listen, you're not to go down there. You're to arrest. This is your assignment. You arrest him. You bring him back so we can execute him. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Your Highness. Absolutely. And so they go down. And the Bible says as soon as they step into Ramah, the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they began to prophesy also. So Saul is like, I just can't, but right, you gotta do it, you gotta do it yourself. So he goes down, Saul goes down himself. And the Bible says that when he comes into the Ramah, they said, David is with Samuel at the hill of Naboth. He goes to, and the Bible says, as he got to the bottom of the hill of Naboth, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He threw off his his priestly uh, threw off his king robes, and he fell prostrate before the Lord, and began to prophesy, so that the people said, "Wow, is Saul also among the prophets?" And the Bible says that nobody came after David anymore from that day. See, this was Samuel's hometown. Ramah. He had home field advantage. I don't understand why you make so much fuss about a building. Church isn't a building, it's about the people. Yeah, but the people got to meet somewhere. Talk to the people in New York that didn't have a building 
how they can't have church because they don't have a building. Yeah, but you don't, you know, it's just bricks and mortar. It's not, yes. But God gives territories. The Bible says when they came into Ramah, they came into an atmosphere and environment that Samuel had shifted. So they came in with malicious intent. They came in with a wicked agenda, but when they stepped in, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them and they couldn't help but prophesy. I don't understand what Awakens assignment is in Salt Lake City. It's very, very simple. We're here to shift the atmosphere. We're here to shift the environment so that men with a wicked agenda to bring destruction, to bring oppression, to bring misery, to bring pain, the devil, whatever agenda he has to destroy people's lives through opiates and through addiction and alcohol abuse and overdoses, suicide, whatever, that when they come into this region that there's an anointing because the church is called to be the gatekeepers of the power over the city. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in the heavenly realm. Whatever you release on earth will be released in the heavenly. In other words, you are called to change and to shift the spiritual atmosphere over a city. The way that revival happens is hearts turn to God. And that only happens when we shift an atmosphere so much when people walk in, they can be ordering a burger at McDonald's and all of a sudden they just feel cut to the heart about their sin, about them cheating on their spouse, cheating on their taxes, living in sin, about their addiction, about the drugs. Eyes open up, hearts begin to turn. Why? Because of an atmosphere that has shifted. Why do you think we have 5.30 a.m. prayer meetings? Is it because we don't like people sleeping? No, it's because we know there is a price to pay. If we do the difficult, we release God to do the impossible, but we labor at 5.30 a.m. on a Tuesday morning to shift the atmosphere because we know the devil has had the control switch over Salt Lake City for too long and there's a new church rising in the valley. There's a new power rising in the valley. There are new gatekeepers rising in the valley that are gonna shift things. So people will prophesy and declare. People will honor the Lord. They will worship the Lord from the rising of the sun to its going down. They will give honor and glory to the real Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the healer, the deliverer. Come on, if you believe it, give God a praise this morning. Come on, give Him a praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, stand to your feet. We've got to finish. I'm way over time. Everyone stand to your feet, stand to your feet, stand to your feet. As you stand to your feet, would you do this for me? Would you just close your eyes? I feel the Spirit of God here. If you're here today and maybe you're not walking with Christ, if you're here today and maybe you slipped away, the world that we live in makes it so easy to get away. The world that we live in is so seductive, so slippery. Maybe you're away from God, come back. Maybe you once knew God. Maybe you, you've never really known Him. You've known religion, but you don't know God. You've never surrendered to Jesus. You may say, well, you know, I, I grew up with religion and sometimes that's not a bad thing. There's a lot of virtues in religion. 
Jesus didn't die to make you religious. He died to make you His. He died that you wouldn't have religion. He died that you may have life and life more abundantly. Today, if you're away, you've never surrendered to Him as Lord over your life. I want to pray for you. So while every head is bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? And I'll see your hand. Thank you up the back. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Raise your hand. Thank you. Who else is there? Just lift it high so that I can see. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Quickly. Thank you, young man. I see your hand. I still feel like there's somebody else. Who is that one? God is working on you. Thank you. Thank you. Right up the back. Yes, I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, sweetie. I see your hand. I just feel like there's still, still one or two more. Who are those ones? God's going after you. Who is that one? Thank you. Thank you, darling. There's still one more. Who is that one? Who is that one? God's knocking on the door of your heart. It's pounding in your chest. You know God's saying, come on. It's your day. It's your time. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Thank you. While, uh, while we're standing here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's all say these words out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today. You so love me that you sent Jesus, your only son, to die on the cross to wash away all my sin. Because of Jesus, today I am forgiven. I am clean. I am free. I am a child of God. Heaven is my home. God is my Father. And I will serve Him and honor Him all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.